She was this gun-toting, whiskey-drinking broad. The super epic fucking broad. She was a pioneer in the industry. She's also so famous and so controversial. So controversial. So she's kind of a big fucking deal. Her story is so incredible. She belongs on this podcast because she's a broad you should know. Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I am your host, Sarah Gorski, and today I am bringing you a special little holiday episode since Christmas is upon us. I don't know about you guys, but it feels like everybody I know is hitting Christmas really hard this year. Lots of events and parties. And it feels like everybody who celebrates the season is clinging onto Christmas with their talons extra hard. So we might as well lean into it on the pod too and give you all what you want. An episode about that time that women became Santa Claus. <gasps> women, impossible, you say. Well, pull up your seat to the proverbial fire here and let old Santa Sarah tell you all about it. Quick content warning before we move on. If you have young or maybe old Santa Claus believers in earshot and you want to keep up appearances, this will not be an episode to listen to out loud in front of them. So maybe put those earbuds in now. So first, I have to start by saying if you're thinking that maybe I'm just talking about Mrs. Claus, then you would not be correct. We are talking about when women became Kris Kringle himself. The big cheese, aka Father Christmas, the Santa Claus. Who the heck even is Santa Claus though? Like when did Santa become a thing? I was curious, and great news, I did a little bit of historical research for us. The earliest foundation of the modern Santa Claus was laid down by a guy named literally Saint Nicholas. He was a monk born around 280 CE in modern day Turkey. History remembers him for his insane generosity. He gave all of his wealth away and he walked around the countryside helping out poor people. And eventually he sainted by the church as the protector of children and sailors. And the height of his popularity in Europe seems to have been during the Renaissance. That was when he was most popular, most thought about, most painted, etc., etc. And it would appear that he first jumps the pond over to the U.S. in 1773 when a Dutch family was celebrating the saint's death day. They called him Sinterklaas, which was essentially the Dutch nickname for him. He grows in popularity, and in 1804, the New York Historical Society records a member giving everybody wood carvings of St. Nicholas, which include now popular Santa-related images like stockings that are stuffed with toys and fruit that's hanging over the fireplace. Then in 1809, Washington Irving names St. Nicholas the, the patron saint of New York in his book, The History of New York. Then, in 1822, Clement 
Clark Moore, who was an Episcopal minister, wrote a long Christmas poem for his little daughters entitled, An Account of a Visit from St. Nicholas, which is more popularly known as, Twas the Night Before Christmas. And this kind of cemented Santa Claus into the hearts of the children of America and eventually around the world. It's about the same time in the 19, excuse me, it's about the same time in the 1820s that Christmas shopping became a thing. Yes, you heard that right. Prior to the 1820s, Christmas wasn't really a thing and neither was Christmas shopping. But this celebration of St. Nicholas had been growing in popularity and it was hyper-focused on gifts for the kiddos. And the shopping malls saw an opportunity to increase their December sales and bam, Christmas shopping became a thing. Now, by the 1840s, newspapers, it had grown so large that newspapers created whole separate sections for holiday ads, and many of their holiday ads featured pictures of Santa Claus. And the trend kept growing until 1841. That is when uh, thousands of children visited a Philadelphia shop to see a life-size Santa Claus model, which was basically the highly successful trial run for what will become the ever-popular Mall Santa. And the rest is kind of history. And this episode is not about Santa Claus himself, so I'm just going to kind of leave the rest about him for you to discover on your own. But if it wasn't already clear, let me put one final emphasis on the fact that modern St. Nicholas, Santa Claus, had pretty much always been depicted as a white-haired, long, white-bearded, jolly, red-nosed dude. In 1941, the very famous Hollywood makeup and hair mogul Max Factor Jr. even published a photo of a standardized Santa Claus for, quote, every father and department store Santa should follow so as to make the legend more real to children, end quote. And so, by the natural order of the patriarchy, mall Santas were always played by white men. By the way, I'm going to have that picture on the website for you. You should check out that picture of the ideal Santa. It is exactly what you think it is. Now, it is true that Mrs. Claus sometimes made an appearance at the malls. As early as 1906, Filene's in Boston hired a Mrs. Claus to help its male Santa entertain young kiddos in line. And the idea of Mrs. Claus became more standardized in 1937 when Charlie Howard, who was a department store Santa who also trained other Santas, he was like a master Santa, he announced that his program was going co-ed. And he planned to graduate two Mrs. Clauses that year, whose job it would be to, quote, greet little girls, learn what they want in their Christmas stockings, teach them how to play with dollies, dollhouses, dishes, and clothes, end quote. And of course, he also added, quote, and she'll have to be good looking too, end quote. Barf. So much for allies, am I right? But... <clears throat> The main job, Chris Kringle, even though Mrs. Claus was there, the main job was never co-ed. It was always a dude that was playing Santa. But then, 
We're going to fast forward in our little time machines to 1942. And due to a little thing called World War II, there was a shortage of available men for the holiday workforce. And that is where today's story begins. I am sure that many of you are familiar with Rosie the Riveter. She was a symbol for the women of America who filled up the American factories and jobs while the men were away fighting in the war. And in fact, according to Wikipedia, 19 million women held jobs during World War II. Most of them weren't new to working necessarily, but they were new to holding higher level positions that were previously off limits for women. And so that was pretty rad. The patriarchy didn't really like this per se, but the needs of war outweigh the needs of keeping women down. So the government encouraged it and people just pulled up their own bootstraps and got it done. But the patriarchy didn't want women in every position where a man was. There was apparently an article in the St. Louis Star Times in 1941 that sums it up perfectly. First, it acknowledged that First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt might be right that, quote, a woman's place is in the office, factory, courtroom, marketplace, corner filling station, and other locations too numerous to mention. There is one male domain, however, that should be defended at all costs. A woman Santa Claus? Heaven forbid! That would be stretching the credulity of guileless little children too far. Unfortunately for the St. Louis Star Times, and fortunately for children everywhere, their editorial didn't mean shit, because in November 1942, the very first female department store Santa was hired in Chicago, my hometown. The Associated Press released a photo of this very first Santa, and the caption read, quote, The manpower shortage has even hit old Saint Nick. This lady Santa Claus turned up dressed like Mr. Claus, except for the whiskers, at a Chicago department store, and the youngsters seemed just as happy telling her which gifts they're hoping for. And... And also, quote, Mrs. Santa Claus would pass on children's wishes to her overworked husband, end quote. However, it's important to note that the other press coverage of this moment, besides that one particular associated press photo, they actually treated her like a full-fledged female Santa, not a like pass the note to the husband Santa, which the Associated Press was like really leaning into. They weren't quite ready to call her a full Santa. Then in December 1942, that same year, so the next month basically, an F.W. Woolworth store in Union, New Jersey also hired a female Santa because they were, quote, unable to find a man suitable for the job, end quote. And the Brooklyn Eagle reported that Mrs. Anna Michelson, who, by the way, was a mother of eight, apparently, would, quote, wear a skirt instead of trousers, but all the other habiliments will be the same as those of the traditional Kris Kringle, including a white wig and a beard, which the mother of eight obligingly showed off for the news photographer. And that very same month, New York City would also get its first female Santa when Daisy Belmore, who was an older British actress, took up residence at Saks Fifth Avenue as the Saks Fifth Avenue Santa Claus. 
And Daisy did refer to herself as Mrs. Santa Claus and said that she was there to fill in for her busy husband, but she did not play this second fiddle song, passing a note along to her husband. She had the big chair, the big throne herself, and she also kind of was given the the magical granting power gifts as she talks to the children. So she was really kind of the first really full Santa that we see in the records here. And Daisy herself was a big up-and-coming name. She had roles in All Quiet on the Western Front that came out in 1930. And in 1931, she was in Dracula. And a United Press article described her as, quote, a white-haired, blue-eyed woman who wore a suit like Santa Claus, except that her red wool stockings showed below her skirt. End quote. Also, she did not wear a beard. I feel it's important to talk about the beard this episode. So, just like in Chicago, where broad Santa first appeared, Daisy had no trouble at all getting the little kids to share their wartime wish lists for Christmas. According to a writer for the New York Herald Tribune, quote, why the little girls all want nurses' kits and the boys want medical things. Her interviewer also then described the scene a little bit, quote, she stopped at this point to pat a small newcomer on the head. And what do you want for Christmas, she asked. The customer was a little girl about seven years old. Miss Belmore leaned closer to hear her reply. In a moment, she looked up. There, she said triumphantly, the little girl wants a machine gun, end quote. <laughs> I don't know um, if that was just for the presses, if that little girl really wanted a machine gun, or if that was just her kind of giving the press a nice little nugget, a nice little sound bite, um, but it's still hilarious. And sad, wartime, a girl asking for a machine gun, not actually hilarious. But as you can imagine... As these female Santas were appearing, there was a lot of colorful reactions to all of these developments. The Washington Post, to their credit, opted not to engage in the politics, and they said, quote, rather than disappoint the youngsters altogether, it seems better to have a feminine Santa than no Santa at all, end quote. The Wichita Daily Times ran an editorial that was titled, quote, Invading Another Male Bastion, which argued on behalf of kids being smarter than they get credit for, saying, quote, It may jar the sensibilities of the youngsters to hear a soprano voice instead of a basso profundo one sounding from forth beneath the whisker. But probably today's children will make whatever concessions are necessary on that account. They have been wise enough heretofore to pretend not to know that the department store Santa is a fraud. To accept a lady Santa will impose no intolerable strain upon their pretended innocence. So those were fairly positive and supportive articles, but there was the syndicated newspaper columnist named Henry McElmore, and he said, quote, he got the shock of my life, quote, when he stumbled upon a woman Santa in a nameless department store. Quote, if there is such a thing as a minor horror, then a minor horror of this war is female Santa Clauses, Christine Kringle, Sarah St. Nicholas, Susie Santa Claus. Holy smoke, 
end quote. And this asshole kept on going, too. He called this Santa broad he encountered, quote, a little old wren of a Santa Claus. The pillow she used for a stomach didn't help, and neither did the soprano voice that squeaked through some cut-down gray whiskers. She didn't walk like Santa Claus walks. He lumbered and flat-footed around, the result of years of carrying that massive pack on his back. This female Santa Claus minced around on size three shoes, and worst of all, she giggled. The real Santa Claus never giggled, end quote. <laughs> Do you hear this guy? The real Santa Claus never giggled. <laughs> it's like too much for me. Uh, I can't handle it. Uh, there was another article in the Geneva Daily Times in upstate New York, which speculated on whether or not female Santas would take Manhattan next. Quote, news that Chicago had a Mrs. Santa reached New York Saturday. Notice of such a break with tradition was not received lightly. The Santa at Stern Brothers, a New York City department store, said he would like to meet a woman Santa and give her his picture, but he thought a Mrs. Santa could not stand the strain a real Santa has to undergo, end quote. There was a Macy's Santa named Jim Willis who said, quote, he thought a feminine Saint Nick would spoil the illusion for children and that anyhow, there were enough cheery old gentlemen to take the place of any Santas who might go off to war, end quote. These guys, these Santas, regardless of all the negative opinions, uh, female Santas were kicking ass and they were a huge hit. So huge that remember Mr. Max Factor Jr., the famous Hollywood makeup artist who did the photo of the ideal Santa? Well, in December 1943, this is a year later, he published another photo depicting his version of an ideal, quote, Lady Santa Claus. And it might have been almost identical to the male version, except she very clearly has nail polish. By 1944, at Christmas, the female Santas were coming out in force. Even Bob Hope was cracking jokes about it in his column. He said, quote, a lot of the Hollywood actresses are playing Santa Clauses this year. And when you think about it, it isn't as silly as it sounds after all. Who can do a better job of filling a stocking than Betty Grable? I can't quite tell if that is a compliment or a cut to Betty Grable. Um, <laughs> that just shows, I don't even have a good Bob Hope impression too. Sorry about that, guys. I just really don't have one. Um, I haven't worked on that one yet. Maybe I, maybe I should, because he is very quotable, I feel like, in a lot of things. But anyway, um, there was another article about another Mrs. Santa Claus, Mrs. Phoebe Seabrook, who was a 62-year-old grandmother, and she was described as being, quote, five feet tall, weighing 123 pounds, end quote. For those who might be wondering, it also explained, quote, she fits into the Santa Claus uniform by tucking the extra fabric in the waist into her belt and the bottoms of the overlong trousers into her boots. And she wore, quote, a flowing white beard, 
end quote. And in that article, Mrs. Seabrook also went on to say that her voice and her shoe size often were kind of a giveaway even to the very youngest children. And if they did figure it out, she would explain to them that she was actually Santa Claus's wife. And if a kid said they didn't think that Santa even had a wife, she replied, quote, well, he's got one now. <laughs> um, the following Christmas, though, in 1945, the war was over. World War II was over. Germany had surrendered in May of 45. So by the time it got to Christmas, um, Japan had also surrendered in August and uh, the war was over in September. And that was the end of the reign of the female Santas. And we really did not see female Santas really come back. Um, not even in film and television. Like we've always had in all of the pop culture Santa references, he's always a dude. And then there's a Mrs. Claus usually. Everyone loves to have a Mrs. Claus in there. She does all the grunt work for Santa at home. She takes care of house and home while he does his business on Christmas Eve. Um, but what an interesting story. I, I had no idea that that happened in World War II. And I was so tickled to find that out. And I thought that maybe you guys would enjoy that story as well. So Merry Christmas, listeners of Broad You Should Know, and come back next week for another Broad You Should Know. To see some pictures of these amazing Santa broads and some quotes from this episode, head on over to broadsyoushouldknow.com. While you're there, you can click on over to the About page and read more about me, my bio, picture, links to all my cool stuff, all right there. Are you following Broads You Should Know on social? We are on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube now at Broads You Should Know and Twitter at BYSK Podcast. To suggest a broad, fill out the form on our website or email us at broadsyoushouldknow at gmail.com. If you are a fan of this podcast, help spread the word about us. Share an episode with your friends and family or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps new listeners to find us. Broads You Should Know is produced by me, Sarah Gorski, and edited by Chloe Skye, with original music by Darren Callahan. Finally, if you really enjoyed hearing about the Santa Broads of World War II, then I highly suggest you check out some of our other World War II hero broads. We've got Virginia Hall, Ludmila Pavlichenko, Christine Jorgensen, Josephine Baker, and the Night Witches. See you next week for another Broad You Should Know.